Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Welcome. It is Rosie on the House. We've been featuring Cottonwood all month long, as that is our staycation destination. Cottonwood has a nickname, and to find the origin of it, you have to go back 99 years to 1920. It was a booming agricultural community and a commerce center of the Verde Valley. It was also a major crossing point of the Verde River. Big market for hay and grain that was serving the Fort Verde, along with Jerome and Sedona. Cattle was a big secondary market, and with all with only a population of about 1,000, earned its nickname as the biggest little town in Arizona. And today you can enjoy parts of the Verde Valley, like uh, the Jackpot Ranch, where they've got a treehouse for kids, paddle boats on the pond, playground, game room, a covered arena for riding, full-size sports court, water slide, swimming pond, and petting donkeys. You could also go to what I call the the rawhide of Verde Valley. It's called the Blazing M Ranch. You go on hay rides, roping lessons, critter walks. You become an outlaw. You can shoot a real 45 Colt. It's only wax bullets, but you get the it's it's a real Colt 45. You can feel that in your hand. You've got the Verde Canyon Railroad. And if you want to tie all those together, you can go to trailhorseadventures.com and schedule a trains, rails, rhythm, and ribs ride where you can ride the train, ride your horse, and on your way back from the horse, you stop at the Blazing In Ramps Ranch, eat some ribs, and listen to the country music. We'll also hear from our staycation winner a little bit later this hour uh, on his stay at the Pines Hotel last weekend and the time that they had there for Camp Cottonwood, you can sign up for your Arizona staycation. We've already selected the winner for next month in September for the Greer area. It'd be a wonderful time for uh, listening to the Elk Bugle, but we're taking entries right now for Patagonia, which will be the destination of our October staycation. Had a lot of great sunsets this week. The storm's coming in. There was pictures posted everywhere. We also had 97,000 lightning flashes over Arizona on Wednesday night couple structure fires as a result of it. And there's a hashtag, AZWX, where you can go type that in and see all the different pictures and postings about it. Some beautiful, beautiful thunderstorms this week in Arizona. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, they always talk about the monsoons coming like this big hazard. I, man, I love the monsoons, the skies, the lightning, the sound of thunder, the smell of the creosote wet. I, I, I love the monsoons. I'm with you, absolutely. Wait all year for it. Oh, they almost left us waiting, waiting at the aisle this year, man. Uh, who stole the monsoon? The one thing I didn't like was the lightning strike near my house where I just I just saw the flash and counted one. Yeah. Whoa. But, man, it was intense. It was. Yeah. I love it. <clears throat> Lots of fun for me anyway. So we have a special guest in, and I very, very coincidentally... It's about escaping the heat, and Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon University, Grand Canyon University, the history professor, said, well, let's do a segment about all the escaped prisoners in Arizona because everyone's escaping from the heat. <laughs> and two days later, the story broke about this escaped couple in Arizona. So it, it, 
did not tie the two together. And Dr. Dean, you're going to get to hear something, me say something a lot of my high school teachers heard me say. I didn't do my homework, but you sent this to me like yesterday morning at 16 pages and I had a conference all day. So, I mean, you've got an chronicles here of escape prisoner stories in Arizona. Floor is yours, sir. This just, this just scratches the surface of, uh, <laughs> of what I call jailbirds and jailbreaks in Arizona history. We've got a, a rich history of, uh, of, of a Department of Corrections and, and dealing with uh, those that go a little astray with society and how we've uh, uh, taken care of that in our society. And, and some of these folks have, have, uh, have attained a little bit of notoriety. And so this morning I thought we would just kind of talk a little bit about uh, those that have done hard labor since well, it is Labor Day. Your, your lesson on how the first territorial prison got located, where it got located, is absolutely a fabulous story. Down in Yuma? Down, uh, yes. In 1875 where they, uh, um, they, uh, the, the village donated the land for them and then they got a contract for $150 to, to build it. And yeah, it's a very interesting uh, uh, beginnings to our, our territorial uh, car, uh, prison system. And then what, what was the part of the story where two legislatures wrote the location into the bill it got passed, and lo and behold, it wasn't going to be maybe where it should have been in the more populated areas. But they had, they kind of hornswaggled their way through the legislative process to get it in Yuma. Yeah, yeah, they, and and of course, Yuma is a very out of the way place. You don't very. want you don't want bad, terrible people close to your Tucson or Phoenix or Prescott at the time. So they they uh, they put it as far away as possible. Uh, down in Yuma. That's, boy, at that time, that was far away away from everything, that's for sure. And then built it basically in the side of a hill out of rocks. Wasn't a very pleasant place. No, and you can imagine, of course, in a day, uh, 1875 to about uh, 1909 or so, there's no air conditioning and it's the hottest, you know, Yuma gets hot hotter than most places in arizona and there's not a lot of air going through and i mean it's it was a terrible terrible place nobody wanted to go there that i feel so bad for the criminals spending time there but man if you're a prison guard that's almost like punishment yeah it was well if that's the only job in the area you know i guess you worked what you needed to do i think i'd go uh, to another area (laughs) have you seen that building romy have you seen it? I have not. It's really something to stand there and look I mean, at. I mean, other than and think pictures. About, yeah, to be thinking about being locked inside of one of those little rooms. That, yeah. That's, not yeah. to make you be good. They're small, very small uh, spaces. Uh, and, of course, the per- prison had over 3,000 prisoners over its time span, over the 33 years. Um, and some actually did pass away because, you know, uh, tuberculosis and other health kind of things. Whenever you put people together from all over, the disease kind of comes around and things. So it was not a not – a, it was a place that most criminals did not – I mean, they feared if you got sentenced to the territorial prison at Yuma. And 21 different foreign countries are proud to say that they had a citizen that was a member of the prison. <laughs> a resident, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, of course, there was uh, always a, kind of a myth that, uh, that there were no escapees from the um, – from the territorial prison, but actually 26 convicts did uh, uh, make it outside of the confines of the walls, and uh, uh, they were sought after and rounded back up and brought back. So uh, um, it's not necessarily uh, um, uh, true what we get in our dime store novels of the Old West, you know. But um, they do the best they can to keep 
people where they're supposed to be when they, the Department of Corrections. And we finally retired that prison when? In 1909, okay. when they uh, uh, opened the Florence prison over in uh, a cent- more central part of the state. And I think both prisons, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe both prisons were built by prison labor. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, you can imagine you're building the very place that you're going to be staying. Uh, you know, I guess it's a form of homesteading. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stretch. Forced, forced homesteading, yes. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, a number of uh, federal and uh, state correctional facilities around the state now, as well as our county and local uh, jails and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a big part of our society, and yet we kind of uh, uh, set it aside. But we're reminded of with the events of this past week with the escaped convicts and stuff that you know there are real serious folks uh, that are in these places, and that uh, there's a real. Um, difficult job that those people do in the Department of Corrections to keep those people where they're supposed to be uh, and and paying their um, paying back society for what they've done. Ooh. And then we've got Fort Grant. Yeah, it was an old army post uh, back uh, during the kind of the Indian Wars and whatnot, and it got converted to a prison for a while and later a school. Uh, and so, again, not a really pleasant place, uh, but you can go down there and visit it also. Uh, I did. <laughs> it's funny how I a did. government building can be used for a prison, a school, and a military com- compound. That's right. What, what other type of building could be used for that many different variances? Sustainability. <laughs> That's right. Hey, there you go. Well, you love that I, word. I'm you sure know, the kids had a lot of jokes about being in prison, right? Well, uh, and I would think if you know, uh, whether you're a government worker or under government care, I don't think any of the three are different, you know? <laughs> between a prison hospital and an administrative place or a fort or something, you know. Well, I think some of the buildings originally built at the fort are still in, are still up. Yes, yes. And there's several forts around the state that, uh, that where you can go and see, say, the parade ground or the officer's quarters or the commandant's house, those kind of things. Uh, and so, yeah, Fort Grant still has got some places down there that you can go and visit. It's Voluntarily. The, it's, yeah, but it's a little off the beaten path to get there because you have to go – on the backside of Tucson and go up towards Safford. Sulphur Springs Valley. Yeah, yeah. It's way on that other side. Yeah, I, when I was in seventh grade, back then it was a boys' reform school. Right. In the 70s. And my dad thought it was appropriate in seventh grade that I got a tour of the facility. <laughs> <laughs> Scared straight. I yeah. Was a, the next year I was student body president. <laughs> making good grades and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I was polishing my halo every night. Oh, maybe I should take some of my students down there on a trip. <laughs> you know, the ones that you didn't turn in your assignments. Um, here's a reform school. Anyway, yeah. so I wonder if they'd make that leap today. I don't know. <laughs> and what is it today? Today it's an actual just kind of a museum uh, historic site. Okay. So you can, but you can visit it. In the, I think they have a, a small entry fee that's by donation. I think so. How many prisons do we have in Arizona? Uh, we have a lot. We have 48 uh, uh, different prisons uh, in the state. Again, those are correctional facilities or prisons and those kind of things. And there's also uh, several federal prisons. And then, of course, each county has at least one or two detention centers and for different you know, juvenile offenders or adult offenders. And then the cities have jails and whatnot to hold people uh, as they move into the criminal justice system. I could have one of our criminal justice professors come in and My all goodness. That. <laughs> well, that sounds like it'll be a fun follow-up. And when we get back from this uh, commercial break, 
we'll talk about uh, the legacy of Eva Dugan and how every death row inmate has her to thank that they're not going to be hung. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. True or false? Time to give away our Arizona State Parks passes. Had it stayed in its original geographic boundaries, Gila Bend and Maricopa, Pine Top and Navajo County, and Peach Springs and Mojave County would all still be part of Yavapai County today. If you think that's true, text TRUE to 411-923. If it's false, text FALSE, and we'll pick a random right winner at the end of this programming segment and send you two passes to Arizona State Parks. Good to any of the 35 state parks, including Jerome State Park, which is the uh, site of the Douglas Mansion. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But we've got Eva Dugan on the topic at the moment with Dr. Dean of Grand Canyon University. Uh, yes, uh, Eva Dugan, uh, notorious uh, um, for holding something very, uh, um, I, don't want, I hate to say it as a record, uh, but she has a <laughs> distinction in our history in Arizona. She was not only um, the only woman to be hung uh, in, uh, as part of her sentencing, but she's the last person to be hung uh, because of her sentencing. And that's because of the the... The, the gruesomeness by which uh, her death came about. Uh, they said, maybe we should try something different after that. Of course, Eva Dugan was a convicted of murder. She had uh, uh, murdered a rancher, uh, stolen his car. She maintained her innocence all along. And, um, of course, they all do, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but, they, um, but she served her time, in, some time in prison. And during that time, uh, she was kind of a model inmate. She was cheerful. Uh, uh, she gained a little notoriety. She got some public attention. She had some newspaper interviews. She People would come and talk to her. And um, uh, she ended up, uh, you know, raising a little bit of money because uh, when you are are in the system and uh, a death sentence was carried out, you didn't get a coffin, you didn't get any kind of fancy things. So she made a little bit of money on the side, very entrepreneurial, to kind of pay for making sure she had a nice burial and a nice dress to be buried in. Aye, aye, aye. Um, but as it came down to time to carry out the sentence at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning in uh, um, 1931, she uh, was was led to the gallows. And at that time, um, the uh, the way the gallows was was a two-story building there in the Florence uh, prison. And it had a trap door. And some of the witnesses and the uh, executioner and the warden would be at the top. And then the assembly of witnesses would be in the second in the bottom floor um and then the the person would stand on the scaffold the rope would go around the neck and the floor would drop out and the body would drop down through and the witnesses could see that the death had been completed that's uh, pretty gruesome that is, it gruesome. is there's a scene just like that in summersby where they it's exactly what you described and saw all these people standing i just can't imagine wanting to ever be a witness but go ahead i'm sorry yeah i'm not sure i want to see that either mm-hmm. um but apparently you know uh, that's part of the process mm-hmm. Um, and so these witnesses gathered, and it was in this case both men and women uh, 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 were witnesses to this. And so uh, she didn't really have any last words. She said goodbye to the warden, uh, and um, they uh, released the trap door. And um, 
to kind of set the stage a little bit, uh, Eva Dugan was a kind of a heavyset woman, uh, and um, she had suffered from syphilis that does some kind of things to your your body and your muscles and whatnot. And, uh, so, and you you did warn us this is gruesome. So if you don't like gruesome, you might want to yeah. If you're eating breakfast right now, you might want to want to go and refresh the coffee. But you said the kids love it. Advised. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so let me. Like, thanks you for the warning there. So uh, you can imagine what happened uh as she the trap door fell open and her body went down through normally there's a kind of a bit of a spring as as the net could snap but in her case there was no spring her body just hit the the floor of the uh, the bottom floor like a big sack of potatoes just just thud and uh unfortunately her head had come apart from the body at the neck and it remained in the noose as the noose sprung back up through the trap door Eyes still open, mouth moving, and then it went back down through the trap door and fell out of the noose and rolled across the floor into the corner. Much to the horror of both people on both floors as her still beating heart was pumping everything out of the neck and made uh, quite a mess. People were horrified, screaming out of the room. Well, we sure just made everybody Saturday morning. Enjoy your omelet now. Oh, Um, man. So so somebody decided... We're going to find another way to do this. Right. There were actually uh, two other prisoners were hung, but they were already scheduled for hanging. Uh, but no one was ever scheduled after her for hanging. And so um, in, and there was a hiatus between 1931 and 1934 on executions in Arizona until they implemented the uh, gas chamber in 1934 down in Florence. And I've heard that it's, it's the 13... 13- Unlucky number comes from the hangman's noose. A proper noose is thirteen wraps. Is Thir- that thirteen wraps? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh huh. And and actually, an expert from England reviewed the case because they hung people in in uh, England at the Tower of London all the way up until the nineteen seventies. Um, wow. And a uh, and a, a hangman there uh, reviewed the case and said that the, the noose was probably not properly put around her neck, uh, as which caused the separation. Well, we're going to have uh, oh, yeah. better stories on this. <laughs> we'll, we'll continue along our uh, prisoner conversation, but we'll, we'll, it won't be as graphic as that. The answer is false. Peach Springs is in Mojave County, just on the other side of Yavapai, and was one of the original four counties. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. In April, we learned about James Douglas, the man which Douglas, Arizona, was named for. He's also pioneering the Hunt Douglas, a process for extracting copper ore, as well as a vital part in the development and growth of Phelps Dodge. His son, known as Rawhide Jimmy, named the town of Clemence, Arizona, after the French Prime Minister George Clemence and a personal friend of his. The town was built as a company town for the miners of the United Verde Extension Copper Smelter UXV. Today, Clemence is a town nearly lost to time. The only remnants of the original town are a school. Now it's the Clemence Museum. And there's a post office slash bank that was moved next to the museum to prevent demolition. The museum opens today at 10 a.m. It's located on Willard Street, just a half a mile south of Old Town Cottonwood. So you 
go get a tour of the Clemence Museum before you hit your wine tasting trail this morning at Cottonwood. We're here this morning with special guest Dr. David Dean, back by popular demand. We've had him in so many times. It always makes for an interesting show. Uh, we've really had the heads rolling in the aisle this morning. That's right. We've tried that to throw people rough. a lifeline, but oh, uh, the rope is only so long. Uh, <laughs> and we're here talking about uh, Dr. Dean, is assistant professor, teaches history at Grand Canyon University. And we felt like with current events, uh, hoping that the current event didn't turn bad by the time we got on air, and with everybody escaping the heat, uh, we were going to do a segment this morning at 7 o'clock on historical jailbreaks in the state of Arizona. Yes. And, uh, and so that got me thinking about uh, a number of kind of uh, uh, kind of characters and whatnot. Of course, one of the most famous uh, little roundups, it wasn't necessarily a jailbreak, but certainly they were on the lam like, the, uh, um, like we have in the current news stories, is the Dillinger gang uh, made an appearance down in Tucson. They were hanging out down there, and um, they were spied and turned in, and the police showed up. And as they were kind of hanging around uh, um, there on 927 uh, – or 2nd Street, uh, 7th, 2nd Avenue in Tucson, uh, in a little home there. Um, and uh, they, the police rolled up on him and arrested the whole Dillinger gang, including uh, Dillinger himself, uh, hauled him in for custody. Uh, and uh, Dillinger's only comment was really those, that hick police down there caught us. Uh, they didn't do much time. They were uh, uh, released pending other uh, uh court dates and whatnot, and Dillinger was about six months later gunned down in Chicago, but prior to that, he had a little episode down in Tucson, you know. And they have a Dillinger's Day event in Tucson every year. Okay. I didn't know that. Tucson. (laughs) They celebrate They celebrate some pretty strange things, I guess, down there. Tucson's been um, kind of the focal of, of other famous... Or infamous. Yeah, well, one of the most infamous from Tucson is what we call uh, was known as the Pied Piper of Tucson, a guy by the name of Charles Schmid or Smitty, as he was nicknamed. Uh, he was a, a, a kind of a teenager loper, interloper kind of person who uh, um, was was amongst kind of that kind of hang around youth culture in the early 60s and whatnot, you know, they'd go and hang out at the drag races on the speedway and cruise around. You know how kids just, back in those days, they didn't have internet, they didn't have Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, just the disaffected youth community down there. And, and he um, he was a little a guy who didn't do really well in school, was kind of picked on because he was only like five foot three. And so he decided to reinvent himself, to make himself kind of more more uh, uh, more panache, so to speak, more Tony, as they would say. He um, uh, kind of modeled himself after Elvis, kind of the bad boy type. He put lists in his shoes to make himself look taller. And he was a smooth talker. He could get the girls and all that kind of stuff. And the teenage community down there really, really kind of, he had a kind of a pall over them. And uh, he decided that he wanted to uh, commit a murder just to see what it felt like. And uh. So he convinced some of his friends to lure uh, a girl out uh, into the desert where uh, he, he committed the crime and got his friends to kind of help him cover it up. Um, and then later when they were kind of nervous and he thought that they might rat him out, um, he killed uh, one of his friend's girlfriends and her sister 
um, and buried similar manner and buried him out in the desert and whatnot. And it was another friend that he was bragging to that later on was worried that his girlfriend was going to get killed. So he turned him in. And so he ended up uh, going to prison. Um, but he he had this you know jet black hair and he kind of had painted a mole on his face to look you know, more more sinister, more black leather jacket, and he was. I mean, just, this is in the 1970s. No, this, no, this is a early late 50s, early 60s is when oh. he committed these crimes. Uh, he went to jail in 63, uh, and had several attempts at escaping the prison down uh, at Florence, uh, which he did eventually uh, have a successful escape. Made it all the way up to Tempe, Arizona. And was out for a couple of weeks. Had uh, stolen a car, tied some people up. Got up there, and he was finally captured and returned. And not too long after he was returned incarceration, did other prisoners decide that they'd had enough of this um, kind of strange individual? And they stabbed him forty-seven times, including lacerating his kidney and, his, and stabbing him in the eye. Oh, oh, that'll make you see better. Whoa. Where are we going to go from there, Doc? <laughs> well, you know, uh, we can always talk a little bit about Winnie Ruth Judd, the famous trunk murderess. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the murders because most people are familiar uh, with her story a little bit. She uh, was in a kind of a lover's quarrel, murdered uh, two individuals, and then um, to dispose of the bodies, she dismembered them and packed them into big steamer trunk cases and went to the depot, the Santa Fe Depot in Phoenix, and booked tickets to Los Angeles. This was about two days after the murder. Well, when they, she arrived in Los Angeles, the, the trunks were leaking. Uh, and so somebody said, hmm, we need to look inside those trunks because there might be something in there suspicious. And when they did, they found the bodies and they oh. arrested her and whatnot. So she ended up spending quite a, a number of years between 1930 and uh, the 1990s or so in jail. Uh, she was uh, incarcerated for a long time. Um, but did she, she did she ever escape? She actually, uh, because she was deemed kind of mentally uh, un, uh, ill, or that there was some extenuating circumstances, she spent a lot of her sentence at the Arizona Mental Hospital, and six times she escaped. <laughs> um, uh, one time she, she was with it enough to escape. Uh, one time she was actually given a, a, a key from a friend of hers, just gave her a key to the front door, and she walked out. Uh, another time she uh, she wandered out in 1939. This is early on in her incarceration. She actually got a bus and went all the way down to Yuma before police caught up with her there. Uh, she was still in her pajamas and barefoot. Uh, in uh, 1947, she wandered off in broad daylight and uh, was picked up at a nearby hotel resort area. Uh, in 1951, uh, somehow she managed to get around, get out, and authorities in Phoenix spotted her, recognized her, and returned her back to uh, incarceration. Uh, in February of 1952, she got out, was out for five days, uh, and she stayed at a friend's home for a while, and eventually she turned herself back in uh and um she escaped in thanksgiving once one year and went and had thanksgiving dinner and came back and then in uh october of 1962 uh she escaped and went to uh, san francisco and lived in san francisco for six and a half years actually serving as a household maid and uh, uh for a family under an assumed name applied for a driver's license and somewhere along the way somebody made a couple connections and next thing you know they returned her back to uh to custody in 1969. So how do you... How'd you like to be the 
homeowner in San Francisco that found out this is who's been in your house cleaning for I guess they didn't have background checks the, back then. The trunk murderers, uh, the famous trunk murderers was your uh, cleaning lady uh, kind of thing. That's, it's, it's just crazy all the different uh, uh, kind of characters that come about from our, our, our stories and, uh, and jailbirds and jailbreaks kind of a thing. Man, here are Dr. David Dean from Grand Canyon University. Well, let's 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 kind of round this topic up on a higher note. On a higher note? Yes. No about... more no more heads falling off. No, no more <laughs> chopped up bodies in a in a in a in a shipping trunk. Are, are uh, you in a love mood? How about Giovanni? Are you in a love mood, Rosie? <laughs> Giovanni, the world's greatest lover. He gets that uh, uh, kind of a headline to him. Giovanni Vigliotto uh, was a uh, was a man, uh, again, somebody you probably would pass by every day and wouldn't think much about. He was kind of a, a little bit chunkier than I am and he had kind of a big dark shock of hair, but he was... Uh, kind of like uh, maybe George Costanza with a full head of hair, right? And uh, <laughs> But he had a way of sweet-talking the girls. And as it turns out, he was married 105 times. He had Any divorces wives. in there or he just kept No divorces. Wow. 27 states, 14 different countries. He had wives around the world. Um, and, and he would, he was a flea market dealer. And what he would do is he would, he would sweet talk these women. He would get them to marry him. He would then say, okay, why don't we move to another location? They'd pack up their belongings in a truck and they would get ready to leave. He would give them money and say, okay, meet me at where we're going to. And I'm going to make a stop and pick up a few extra things from a, a, a deal or whatnot. And I'll meet you there. And then he would never show up. So he stole from all those ladies. All those the households. And then he would go to a flea market somewhere, set up shop, and sell all their what belongings. What a dog. <laughs> yeah. So this one woman in Indiana was taken for $49,000 uh, of her personal property. And she said, I'm not going to let this guy get away with it. So she tracked him down over 11 states, found him in Florida. With her best friend and her uh, went on this big search, found him in Florida, and she was going to let him have it. But her friend... You know, said maybe we ought to call the authorities. Turns out, at the same time, the last woman that he had married, Patricia Gardner, was a resident here in Arizona, had filed a case against him, a suit against him, and so because of that case pending, he was extradited here, where he was found guilty. Um, they found out that he had as, up to as many as 120 different aliases. Uh, he, they didn't even, they couldn't even figure out what his real birthday was. But uh, uh, he came back um, here and he was sentenced to 28 years in prison. Uh, fined for $336,000, and he um, spent the rest of his time in, in Arizona, died in prison in 1991. Well, you're exactly right. I pulled his image up. You described him perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, your, for the older audience, he's kind of like Dom DeLuise with a lot of hair. Yeah, just, just <laughs> exactly like All right. Well, the topic was jailbreaks and escaping the heat. Uh, labor Day, hard labor. Hard uh, Labor Day, hard labor. So we put uh, our Arizona local historical twist expert on the topic, and uh, that's what we came up with. So and, and, and boy, did we twist it in the wind there, so to speak. <laughs> I'm waiting for Romy to jump in. <laughs>
Well, all this month we've been featuring the town of Cottonwood, Arizona as part of our Rosie on the House Arizona staycation. That's easy for me to say, say again. Got a chance to hook up with Mark Novak of Santan Valley. He was the winner of our staycation to Cottonwood. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, So like every staycation winner, the first thing that you do is you go to Sanderson Ford and pick out your car for the weekend. What did you drive? Uh, the, the little SUV they have. Um, uh, it's a Ford Edge? Edge, that was it. That's a yeah. nice car. Though. It was a little freaky at first when it came to a stoplight and the engine shut off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a Ford Hybrid, and it does the same, too, and I have to kind of listen just for a little bit and go, okay, the engine's running. Okay, we're good to go. Now, we had a chance to talk with uh, Corey at the Pines Motel last week, and uh, that was a place we found that blew us away because it really is a nice place in Cottonwood. Very nice. It was room, a little kitchenette, stove, refrigerator, microwave, uh, nice swimming pool, nice people there. Uh, had a great time at the hotel. And it's a perfect place to stay to enjoy Cottonwood, uh, or you've got Jerome and Sedona nearby, very short drives of, of, of just a really neat place. So what did you do on your staycation besides the car and staying at the Pines? Well, Saturday, we spent the morning in Jerome. I think we hit just about every shop. Uh, Friday night, but come to think of it, Friday night, we went to a real nice restaurant in uh, Cottonwood for a fish fry. Uh, came back and enjoyed the pool Saturday afternoon. Saturday evening, we went to Sedona, had a nice meal at a nice restaurant there. You do any hiking and, by chance or just kind of chilled? Uh, hiking? No, I, I'm not a hiker. I got <laughs> bad knees and a bad back. Okay. I'm an old man. <laughs> but you have eyes, and you get to enjoy the view of the Verde Valley, which is just, every time I it bring friends awesome. to Arizona. Yeah, exactly. And uh, did you have some extra goodies in your gift basket? Oh, yes. Some real nice uh, magazines and books from uh, Arizona Highways, some uh, candy and some muffins from Coyote Ori. Yum. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were good. <laughs> Well, Mark, I'm glad you had a great time on your staycation. Our next one you can register for right now is for October, Patagonia, Arizona. We're heading south. You'll stay at the Duquesne House Inn and Gardens, and you can register right now at rosyonthehouse.com under the staycation tab, just like Mark did. Mark, I'm glad you had a good time. I, I appreciate everything Rosie does for me. He saved my butt a bunch of times in the house. Thank you all for the for the staycation. It was awesome. I appreciate it. Well, glad we could help you, Mark, and appreciate you tuning in and entering and enjoying your trip. The Verde River that originates in Yavapai County is fed by a series of springs east of Paulden and the upper canyons found below Sullivan Lake. Moving south is what's known as Middle Verde and is joined by additional springs, Granite Creek, Big Chino Wash, Hell's Canyon, Sycamore Canyon. Perennial tributaries include Oak Creek, Wet Beaver, and West Clear Creek. The region that's called the Middle Verde is Arizona's only <clears throat> wild and scenic river, and that's designated by rivers.gov. You can go on that website and read about the National Wild and Scenic Rivers Act of 1968. The only national, the only wild and scenic river, Middle Verde. I would have put some, I would have thought some places in White Mountains would have qual- qualified for it, but only the Middle Verde. All right, well, let's wrap up our show of jailbreaks uh, and great escapes with Dr. David Dean, assistant professor at Grand Canyon University. Uh, uh, well, how, I thought we didn't. We how, do are have gonna, a, how are you going to end this? Well, we do have a high note in Arizona uh, 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 corrections type of, uh, of experiences. Certainly, uh, you can't talk about Arizona 
uh, in this area without talking about Ernesto Miranda. Uh, Ernesto okay. Miranda was yes. arrested in 1963. He was put in a police lineup. Uh, he was accused of uh, rape and murder. He was held in custody for a number of hours, and he was forced to confess to a crime that— as it turns out, uh, uh, later was challenged on that confession because he had never been given the right to an attorney in representation. And that his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's why we have the Miranda rights. and People are Mirandized for that. Of course, uh, um, himself, he was later um, uh, got in a tussle at a little uh, bar called The Deuce uh, in Phoenix near 2nd and Jackson and was stabbed over a $2 poker game uh, and probably never got to really – understand the impact of what he did for all persons, uh, incarcerated or not, that ha- uh, in terms of their rights and things. So uh, that's a good high note for it Arizona. Is. It is. That, that became federal law when you when you watch the, the cop shows right. and they're cuffing the guy or the gal and they start their speech. You have the right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. And if you can't afford counsel, one will be provided for you. That's being... Mirandize. Right. You sound like you know that familiarly. I've heard. I, I watch. Uh, we watch, watch Blue Bloods. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just, I watch I'm just Blue checking. Bloods a lot. I'm just wondering what the experience was Hill, in that. Hill, Hill Street Blues and Blue Bloods. Yeah. No. And, and they're right. The Miranda rights are, are very, very important. In fact, uh, police officers in, in some uh, cases are asked to actually read it from word for word from a card that they carry with them just so that there's no question that uh, that the words are all said. So sometimes the way they say it on TV is often um, – you know, a little bit more dramatized. All right. Well, in the next hour, we're bringing in John J. Harper, who actually has ancestors that took part in much of the early uh, incarceration history in Arizona. Grandfather's uh, warden at the Florence prison, uh, ancestors that were involved in the power cabin shootout. But we'll probably go off topic on that and switch to the <laughs> Outdoor Living Hour, the shade, cover the Shade Conference from yesterday. And you can join the conversation if you have a question about your landscape garden, one 767 That's one 888 for you. Text can be sent to 411923, or you can send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help with plant or insect identification. You can get on the line now and be ready to start our Outdoor Living Hour here coming up. At uh, right about 8.06 after top of the hour news, it's Rosie on the house with you every single Saturday morning. Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon University, history professor, thanks for the research and the the storytellings and uh, the nightmares I'm going to have tonight. (laughs) Thank you for having me come in again. I love being here.